This is the Miller Report with Suzanne Miller on the Red Apple Podcast Network. And now, here's Suzanne Miller. Welcome to the Miller Report. I'm Suzanne Miller, CEO of Empire State Properties and host of the Miller Report. The Miller Report is a real estate podcast and we focus on politics and real estate. And I got to tell you guys, this has really taken off. Today's special guest is somebody I'm really interested in speaking with. He is a graduate of um, St. Francis University. He's got a law degree from Notre Dame. He was born in Manhattan, but raised in Sunnyside, Queens. Right. I'm a Brooklyn girl, so Queens, Brooklyn, you know. Well, I went okay. to high school and college in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, good. So okay. We, we got that. There you go. <laughs> in 1992, he was elected to the United States House of Representatives. From 1993 to 2013, he was elected to the United States of New York's 2nd Congressional District. From 2013 to 2021, he's nodding along, so I guess I'm right. There's a lot to talk about here. He was elected to the United States Representative of New York's 3rd Congressional District. He was also ranked the most bipartisan member of the United States House of Representatives. And this is my favorite part, guys. He was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. That's a big job, and that's a lot. Wow. In addition to all that, he's so handsome. Oh, my God. Thank you. Keep (laughs) going, then. (laughs) Welcome, Representative Peter King, to the Miller Report. Suzanne, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's get right into it. Sure. Um, Should I call you Peter? How should I refer to you? Pete. Call me Pete. Pete. Call you Pete. Okay. So, Pete. There's so much going on right now. There's just so much going on. And I listen to the news 24-7. It's, it's, it's giving me so much anxiety. As a former member of Homeland Security, what sort of threat are we facing today? Yeah, I was, uh, became actually the first, uh, I, I became chairman of the Homeland Security Committee in the first year that it was created. I've been on a temporary committee before that, but they made it permanent in 2003, which was the f- 2005, actually, which is a follow-up to 9-11. And so much was put in place, and the committee, we were monitoring what was going on in the ports, the airports, uh, as far as immigration itself, as far as uh, 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 sleeper cells here in the United States, homegrown terrorists, all of this. <coughs> and things like uh, Hezbollah, which is controlled by Iran, that is the most uh, deadly and best-trained terror force in the, in the world, and there are many of them here in New York and the United in States. In New York? They're here, yeah. They're and in New York. You're they, saying that Hezbollah is in New York. Oh, yeah, definitely. And they've been here, and they are uh, uh, what are called sleeper cells. So if we do, God forbid, end up in a war with Iran, they will be called into action. Now, in the past, and like, like when Ray Kelly was the commissioner, he would follow them. He actually had some thrown out of the country. He saw them you know, taking photos around Manhattan and subway uh, systems and everything. That's just an example of what we face. But we set up all these mechanisms also as far as uh, you know, people taking off their shoes at the airport, people going through and having to put their arms up in the air and being, and being patted down, every 10th or 20th person being pulled out for, that didn't help. for questioning. No, but having said that, that that was certainly far from perfect. But now we have hundreds of thousands coming across the border with nobody checking them. So why should ISIS bother sending somebody to fly into JFK or LaGuardia when they can just send them down to uh, Central America and have them walk across the border? 
And also you have China, which is uh, very much uh, involved in espionage, very much involved in uh, 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 subversion. So, no, we are, uh, you know, the FBI director, I'm not a big fan of the FBI director, but he's come out and said that right now this keeps him awake at night. This is, you know, the real threat that we face is the terror threat in this country, because ISIS and al-Qaeda monitor us completely. They are constantly looking for ways to, to probe. Now, in New York, what... Uh, uh, Commissioner Kelly, actually Rudy Giuliani and Commissioner Kelly, especially uh, Kelly, set up under uh, Bloomberg, where he would have police units just assigned uh, uh, to monitor certain communities. So if we were told, let's say, that a, uh, there's a possible terror threat coming from a country, and they would give the name of the country, we would know where that neighborhood was here in New York. And we have sources talking. We don't have that now? Uh, the cops are not allowed to do it because that's considered ethnic surveillance, it's considered bias, it's considered profiling. So they've had to scale that way back, yeah. And, uh, you know... Uh, Pete, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Well, so let me ask you, let's just let's, yeah. let's just take this back a minute. I heard you, I, I was doing a lot of research on you, and mm. I read today that you once told the New York Times that the Patriot Act has kept us for seven years against having any attacks. Can you explain to my audience what is the Patriot Act? Yeah, basically, the Patriot Act was uh, in, in combined with local police like we had here with uh, Ray Kelly in New York and uh, uh, Bill Bratton after that. Basically, the Patriot Act gives the federal government surveillance powers. It allows to use uh, even wiretapping in certain cases. All this has to be approved by a court, but it is done. It, 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 it amplified the powers of, of the federal government, of, of the FBI, of the uh, intelligence collecting agencies, and also made them coordinate more. And also to uh, set up uh, uh, alliances and relationships with, uh, with foreign countries. Now, before 9-11, uh, basically, uh, Germany didn't tell France what they were doing. They didn't tell us what they were doing as far as monitoring. And so the 9-11 attack, even with the breakdown we've had in this country, would not be able to happen today because there was planned almost openly in Europe. I mean, there were things going on in Germany. There were things going on in other countries in Europe. And those countries knew about it, but they sort of kept it to themselves. Today, all that information is shared. So we're ahead of the game that way. But as far as actually stopping the individual terrorists coming into the country, it's now virtually impossible. They're coming, I mean, I've lost track of the numbers now that I'm out of Congress, but so many people who've been stopped at the border have been on the terrorist watch list. Now, the other ones were stopped. And for everyone that stopped, how do we do with them once they're stopped? Uh, no, we send them back. We send them well, back. Yeah. And we have no idea who these people are at the moment. They're just here, and there's, do we have a, like a location they're in? Do we have any information on them? Well, we used to have a lot more than we do now uh, because the police and the FBI would work together. They would monitor the neighborhoods, monitor the communities. They would have undercover police working in, the, in those communities. And if you did, let's say, arrest someone in one of those communities for drunken driving or whatever, you would uh, turn them into being informers, in effect, to go inside in, in that community. How many do you think are here, Pete? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. I would say there's probably too many, though. I'll, you know, I'll leave it at that. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, what can I'm, we do as citizens? Uh, I would say, first of all, we got to put more pressure on the... Uh, uh, political people. I mean, for too many years, especially here in New York, we heard about how the NYPD was profiling, how the NYPD was harassing people in certain communities. New York City stopped. I think Ray Kelly, I lost track. I think he had a 16 or 17 plots against New York actually stopped, including blowing up the uh, Brooklyn Bridge, uh, the subway system in New York. We had one in 2009, I guess it was with the subway system in New York where there was uh, somebody actually had uh, liquid explosives and they were on the way and if they, they came within one day of succeeding uh, we knew that the main guy behind it was from uh, I guess he was living in Queens and he went out to Colorado 
and he had some other allies here in, in this uh, city, and he was coming. They had it all worked out to put these you know, liquid explosives in the New York City subway system. That would have killed thousands of people. I mean, there's no place where you're more vulnerable. You have nowhere to go. You're in a subway, and the explosion is contained within there. It's, uh, it's brutal. Uh, he was coming from Colorado. Like, I happened to be with Commissioner Kelly. Now, I'm name-dropping, but it was on a Sunday night in... Uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg was having at his home, he was having a dinner for the, uh, ed- uh, uh, the owners of the Times. I, see, I, I, I think Murdoch was there, Salzberger was there. Uh, who was the guy that owned the Daily News then? Oh, God. That's, uh, anyway, they were there, and there were some other... Uh, also, the, uh, a, a future prime minister of Britain was there. So there were all these people, and I'm, I'm sitting next to Ray Kelly, and he asked me if we can go outside and take a walk. Oh, my goodness. And as he told me that they were monitoring this guy coming in from Colorado, and they uh, were hoping that he was the right one. They were hoping that nobody else here had the explosives. He apparently had the explosives he was bringing in. And, uh, so it was, and then, I guess, early the next morning, they carried out the raids, and they did stop him and, and the others. But there's a, also there's a moral from that story. Uh, they had the information. They knew there were three or four others here in New York they thought were involved. They, they went to an imam who they thought they could trust. He was one of the few they thought they could really trust, and they asked him for information. Turned out later he tipped them off as to what the police were doing. So this is a guy that they thought they could trust. And, uh, but no, that was, that's the closest I was actually monitoring something as was being stopped. It was really, uh, I think they, they actually got them in Queens, Jackson Heights or somewhere. But, uh, they so they're very organized. They're waiting. What are oh, they waiting for? Uh, maybe the right moment, whatever it is. I mean, they, you know, <laughs> they decide. I mean, they attacked the uh, World Trade Center in 1993 and didn't come back for eight and a half years. So they, uh, basically, time is with them. And, uh, I mean, how many people here in New York even think about Al-Qaeda anymore or ISIS? I mean, it's something, you know, it's in, it's in the past. It's like Pearl Harbor. But the thing is, with, after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese army was destroyed in 1945. ISIS and Al-Qaeda are still out there. And they are still, uh, uh, you know, s- still recruiting, still uh, uh, on, the, on the Internet. And they do have supporters here in the United States. Well, all of this is because of the border, as, as you're saying, and it's because of our immigration policy. Yeah, it was a problem anyway, but we had it contained to the extent you could contain that we had it contained. Now, I'm very concerned, as is the FBI director, who's no friend of the Republicans. He's, uh, you know, he's in there with uh, uh, Joe Biden, so he's not uh, uh, trying to raise an issue against the Biden administration. He's just facing reality. Well, while you're in office, George uh, I think it was Junior, George Bush Jr., right. tried to have an immigration policy. He really was close to getting one. Right. What happened and why did it fall apart? What do you think? Uh, I think part of the problem is that both sides want what they want and don't want the other. To me, the most important thing is to have security at the border, to make sure the border is closed. On the other hand, I can see why, uh, on the other hand, they want to make it uh, somewhat easier, not easier, but more more flexible about people coming in, maybe increase the uh, numbers. I'd be for that if we know the border is secured. But you had people who, and I'll make it partisan, more Democrats who said, fine, let's do this, let's uh, ease the immigration restrictions, and then we'll close the border. And the Republicans said, no, we want the border closed, so neither side would come and in fairness both sides use it not fairness but in reality both sides use it as a political issue 
Republicans wanted to show they were tough on the border. Democrats wanted to show they were more humane and open-minded. And uh, so basically nothing got done on that. And there was no, to me, I'm tough as far, I want the border closed as tight as can be. But on the other hand, we are a nation of immigrants. So I have no problem if we increase the number of immigrants. Or if legally. We, legally, yeah. As long as, as long as it's done legally. Part of it, now I'll be partisan again, a lot of Democrats, they want to, uh, cut back on illegal immigration by making illegal legal. And then we say we have less illegal immigrants because you're legalizing what is really Ill- illegal. So how would you do it today? Uh, first thing I think has to be the border. I mean, uh, and then there are other steps we can take. I think we can uh, uh, f- uh, find you know, maybe different uh, professions, different backgrounds of people you know, you know, to uh, allow in more easily. Also, uh, look at what does constitute being a... Uh, uh, humane applicant, someone who is uh, not necessarily a refugee, but we could make some allowance for economic uh, disparity. But on the other hand, you can't let the whole world in here. So there are tough decisions that have to be made. But I'm, I'm willing to look at expanding the pool of people that come in. Uh, and also, uh, certainly, let's say young kids who come over here, the parents are here illegally, the kids are illegal, but they come in when they were like one or two years old. I mean, I had, I had uh, people living in my congressional district. One actually was a woman became a medical doctor. She was brought, uh, brought into the country when she was one or two years old, I think it was uh, El Salvador, and, but she was raised as an American. She had no concept. So there's always exceptions, but you just want to do this properly. Exactly, and you yeah. And want to exactly, these Yes. So I think there are people we know who, who come in here and say at the age of one or two years ago, they lived here, they're doing, okay, Give them uh, amnesty, you know, uh, 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 retroactively. But in doing that, don't open it up to everyone who's coming across the border and now staying at Floyd Bennett Field. Well, talking about that, so New York City today had, I think it was, they said 4,000 students away yeah. from Madison High School because they had to make room for the migrants. Yeah. So there's 170,000 migrants that have come to the city in the last year. It might even be like the last several months. Right. 170,000. As the mayor, I mean, what more could he do? Uh, I think, first of all, he made the mistake up front of inviting them in, basically I'm proud of the fact know, this yes. is... Uh, so that, that was the initial mistake. What can he do now? Uh, main thing, I guess you should be more critical of the Biden administration. I mean, you can't keep them out of New York uh, as a local uh, mayor. I mean, it's just... It's un- under the law. Once they're here, they're here. And they, and, but it's up then to the federal government to find them, deport them, and uh, also secure the border. So without the federal government playing a real strong, active role... There's not that much more the mayor can be done. I just wish he was more outspoken, though, and being critical of the Biden administration. What should he do about Abbott? Should he go knock on his door? Should he have a conversation with him? Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, Abbott, uh, I understand why he's doing it. I mean, they have, whatever problem we have in New York, they have it much worse in Texas. And while they're suffering down there, you have people like mayors in New York and Chicago talking about how they had sanctuary cities, how we welcome everyone. So Abbott said, fine, you're welcome. Here they come. And he sent them up here. And now we, you know, we realize what Abbott is going through. Yeah, I think they should talk to Abbott, see if they can find a better way. But on the other hand, he has to do something too. Because I, mean, I no, and. Uh, Democratic members of Congress who represented districts along the border. And they would talk about, and these were basically Hispanic Americans, uh, so they certainly were not anti-Hispanic or anti-immigrant uh, even for that matter, how their communities were being overwhelmed. And I thought, yeah, it must be bad. I thought about it from a distance. But now when you actually see it, see the people of Floyd Bennett uh, feel, see uh, uh, all those people at the Roosevelt Hotel just a few blocks from here. You have to put them on Madison Avenue? Come on, Pete. Right. <laughs> Manhattan, next to Jamie Dimon's building? Yeah, I, mean, I know, I know that, yeah. 
That's what I mean. So when I had Pataki on the Miller Report, yeah. he, he had a much different approach. He was like, you know what? We're going to send him away. We're not going to, what are they going to do? It's like, we, we're going to say we're not sanctuary and we're just not going to let the buses come here. And there's been a lot of conflict back and forth about that. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, listen, I, I think they can stop the buses, but you can't, uh, unfortunately, you can't, if, if, Let's say they, you know, the bus uh, stops in New Jersey. Well, yeah. And well. they come walking across the, or you know, take the uh, the tubes across or ferry, whatever. Uh, you can't stop them un- 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 under the law. The only one who can do that is, you know, is, is the uh, the federal government. We can make it somewhat make it harder to them. Yeah, tougher. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I mean, uh, as far as the mayor, uh, again, he made the mistake by opening things up by going out of his way. Uh, to basically invite them, and now he realizes it's too late. But, uh, and I know where George Pataki is coming from. I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm just saying I don't know how effective, there's no harm in trying that, but as a practical matter, when you're having 4,000 come in a week, and if the bus stops in uh, Jersey instead of New York, okay, they're still going to come here. They get on the train, and off they come. So do you think Mayor Adams is doing a good job? No, uh, he, he might be doing better than any other Democrat would do. I mean, of the group, I know him somewhat. I like him personally. Uh, in fact, he was a former cop. I thought was important. I think he's trying to have it both ways, though. You can't be uh, uh, tough on issues like this and still keep the base of the Democratic Party with him. The progressive wing of the party thinks he's probably too conservative, so he's trying to mollify them. But in doing that, he's just basically uh, antagonizing everyone. Because uh, it's, uh, now again, getting back to what they can do, you can't lock up, uh, uh, local police can't be locking people up because they're here Ill- illegally. That's up to the federal government. And if you do, if you do stop them, all you can do is turn them over to the feds and the feds are going to release them. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really serve a purpose. It's, uh, uh, but, and, and also even issues like, for instance, people get upset when you provide medical care for illegal immigrants. The fact is, if you don't, and their kids are in the schools or whatever, then you can have, because no one knows how healthy they are. They could be coming in with all sorts of diseases. I mean, some of this is anecdotal, but you hear from doctors that there are uh, diseases appearing now in the city hospitals that haven't been around for years. And so that's the danger. There's so many ramifications to this, which the do-gooders sort of ignore. They just want to be very humanitarian, let everybody in, right. and have an open door. Yesterday we had de Blasio on the Miller Report, and he's a do-gooder. Yes. He was saying that, you know, he, the police need to feel better and we're really trying to have good morale. And I'm like, I want tough love. I want <laughs> right. to, like, let's talk about law and order. And let's right, talk exactly. about, like, so that's why I do appreciate the, the contrast with you today saying that we have to be tougher, tougher yeah. on laws, more police, tougher on the immigration coming well, I go in back here. back to demonstrations following the George Floyd killing several years ago. I mean, the police here, I think the uh, de Blasio administration spent more time monitoring <laughs> the police than they did discouraging and uh, condemning. Uh, the rioters. You have people like Andrew Cuomo saying he was proud to stand with the, he called them the protesters. And the night before, cops had been hit with, had uh, Molotov cocktails thrown at them. A cop who I knew got all his teeth knocked out. He was rushed to the, the hospital, and the, and the uh, so called protesters tried to turn the ambulance over. And the next day, the governor is saying, I'm proud to stand with the protesters. No, you, have, you can't allow riots, you can't allow those type of demonstrations to become violent. And the fact that they, uh, like, like when they caught the people who vandalized the outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, the district attorney refused to uh, prosecute them. He said they were protesting. It was the beginning of the end. Yeah, absolutely. And then with shoplifting, and basically, I mean, the fact that you, you can't get toothpaste without opening up a cage, for God's sakes, and that all began during the Floyd riots when the uh, 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 
shoplifting just became you know the flavor of the day and the and no bail no bail no violent for misdemeanors and right. nonviolent right. criminals so what is a violent criminal how about the tourist that was stabbed a few mm-hmm. weeks ago in grand central that guy was arrested 17 right. times 17 times right not put in jail then you have someone like the uh, ex-Marine, uh, a Penny, who s- saved people's lives on yep. the subway, and now he's charged with felonies. I mean, to me, that I, I can't imagine, I hate to be living in the past, but I can't imagine even just a few years ago that happened. He would have been a hero, be giving a ticket tape parade to that guy. And uh, it's also interesting that because the guy that he took down happened to be African-American, they ignore the fact that the guy who helped Penny was also African-American. There was no racial issue here involved at all. If it had been a black woman, or even even more so. I mean, they, they always find some type of minority they can they can put you in. You're gay. You're a woman. You're African American. You're Hispanic. You're See, whatever. It, and it's it seems crazy. like it seems like the only minority people are not empathetic to are the Jews. So I want to yes. talk about yep. the protesters and my parents are Holocaust survivors. Oh, and wow. if it wasn't for their resilience, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So I speak very loudly about that. And I and I see the demonstrations. And I thought that there are laws. Aren't there laws in Congress that basically say that you cannot? This is this is interfering with commerce. Right. These, co- these closing bridges, closing airports, closing roads. Isn't that an interference of commerce? Why is it the federal government? not doing something about this and arresting these people? Probably because the local governments are not asking the federal government to. I mean, I think you would have uh, certainly, uh, uh, right, the federal government can be brought in. I don't think they have to be. If the local police were allowed to do their job, you can't allow people to be shutting down the Holland Tunnel. Think of emergency vehicles have to go through. Somebody's bringing his husband or wife, uh, his or her husband to, uh, to uh, uh, you know, the emergency room or, or, or whatever. Uh, you know, women's in labor. Some guy's having a heart attack. All that gets blocked. And then all the businesses that are affected by that. And, uh, no, the police should, they have the right to do it and they should be able to do more. I'm, I'm glad they locked up the 326 a few days ago. But that should be going on all the time. You should lock them up and make it clear. And also, uh, if you have to use force to push people back, you can't allow demonstrators to be pushing cops around. I mean, it's spinning I'm loving this guy. I'm yeah. loving Pete. I'm yeah. loving you. I think we need to get you back in office. So let's move on to real estate, because obviously this is a real estate show, and I do think real estate and politics have a lot of similarities, right. because if there's not good politics, we won't have any value in our real right. estate, correct? Yes. So New York, uh, the, I asked de Blasio this yesterday, and I said to him, where's the empathy for the landlords? Mm-hmm. What's happened during this pandemic and afterwards? It takes a, a landlord about a year to evict somebody, about one year. You can move into somebody's apartment, not pay rent. Mm-hmm. The landlord still has to pay the common charges, taxes, all their fees, and the person could be there for a year and not pay any rent. What do you think about that? And how could we re- revamp this to go back to the days when a landlord would own an apartment and would make some sense for them to own real estate. Yeah, first of all, this is a part of the, you know, the class warfare. Nobody feels sorry for a landlord if you're the average person out there. We're not realizing that's so much the backbone of our economy here in the city. Yes. If you don't have healthy real estate, if you don't have people willing to take the gamble of investing, I would never have the guts to be investing money in real estate. I mean, to me, to be out there, to be a, uh, a prominent or a successful person in real estate, you've taken a lot of gambles along the way. And if they're going to find out that after taking those gambles, the city's going to you know, cut it out from under them, you're going to have less people getting involved, you're going to 
to have more empty uh, buildings. You're going to have more reliance on public housing, which doesn't work. And uh, so, no, this is, uh, I strongly believe that we have to stop the class warfare. It's not, it's not landlords versus tenants. It's basically for healthy New York. And uh, the fact that uh, there are some, uh, to me, a, a real reluctance of, you know, for people to stay, to get in real estate or, or, or to stay in real estate. So one of somebody that I know, a real estate developer, came to me during this time mm -hmm. and said he wants to put a coalition together. I'm, I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this. I won't use his name. He's a very large developer. Okay. He wanted to start a real estate rent strike because real estate prices, real estate makes up 35 percent mm. of the city's budget. 25% on commercial and 10% on residential. Mm. Could you imagine what would happen to the city if the developers or the landlords stopped paying real estate taxes? It would be a wake-up call. Yeah. So they don't like landlords, but they want the landlords to pay the, for the budget. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, uh, to me, it's, it's taking advantage of people who have been successful, and they, be, and they have been successful because they've been working hard and they took risks. They were on, on, uh, entrepreneurs. Also, though, apart from the actual actions the government takes, which are uh, damaging to real estate, Crime. I mean, crime has had a real impact. I, I had a uh, uh, condominium in uh, uh, Washington, right down near the State Department, <coughs> near, near the Watergate. After I left Congress, took only, uh, almost two years to sell it because of the fact that I don't think there had been a crime committed there for years. During the Floyd, uh, uh, George Floyd riots, the, it became a madhouse down there. And then the homeless were there. So this place was never had crimes before. It became a homeless encampment. It became a crime uh, center. And I think I, I finally when I sold it, it was like about $80,000 less than what it would have been if I had sold it when I was still in Congress. I'm using that as an example. I'm feeling sorry for myself. Just but a personal experience that I had. So you just worked that out. It's just... Uh, Pete, it almost seems like it's an attack on democracy. It seems like it's a deliberate attack on democracy. I'm not a cons I am not a conspiracist kind mm -hmm. of person, but it seems like everything we're talking about seems to be we're going to have you know no no wealth. We're going to riot. We're going to you know, anybody with any money they shouldn't have any money. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think the AOCs of the world, the people on the left, they basically want to change everything we've had as a country, including entrepreneurs, including law and order, including respect for for, for cops, including have education that's real, not just making people feel good about themselves. And this whole idea that uh, our society is terrible and we have to change. Yeah, I, to me, it's not a mistake. I don't know if they necessarily plan on all the violence per se, but when violence does break out, they stand with those carrying it out rather than with the cops. I mean, we went through a, a, almost two years here in this, this country, certainly here in New York, where the cops were being demonized. Now, people are starting to say some good things about the cops. And then, well, things, we're losing, what, 5,000 cops in New York were down? Can't fill the academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why would anybody want to be a police officer today? Yeah, my father was a police officer for almost 30 years. In fact, he was the commanding officer for uh, uh, physical training down in the uh, uh, police academy. He trained Ray Kelly years ago. Wow. So but that was many years ago. Good genes. But, uh, well, I don't know. He was, uh, I, I would never be the cop my father was, I'll tell you that. I mean, they, they, those guys were really, you know, they come out of World War II, and it was a whole tradition. And it maintained until the last few years. I mean, under, under Giuliani, under Bloomberg, the cops were doing great. They were doing a great job. People appreciated them. And then suddenly you had uh, Mayor de Blasio come in, undercutting the cops. You had more people in his administration watching what the cops were doing during the riots to make sure they didn't hurt any of the demonstrators, who were meanwhile throwing people petrol bombs with them. And then, uh, so now that, I mean, it, they, you can't keep up. And also the whole movement to defund the police and in many ways they were defunded. Money was cut back and it was just, uh, 
Uh, it's been a rough, rough few years for the police. But listen, in the end, maybe the cops can take care of themselves. But the people that they have to protect can take care of themselves. Particularly so, if we're going to have an attack. Yeah. Then we'll need the cops. Well, that's true, yeah. And uh, so it's not just somehow people feel good they're hurting the cops. That would be bad enough. But the ones who really get hurt are the average civilian. The average husband and wife who have kids, or the person living alone, person who lives in a neighborhood. I mean, I, my heart goes out to somebody living in one of these crime-infested neighborhoods trying to raise kids. And the crime rate has gone up dramatically over the last several years. And when they talk about crime coming down, yeah, it's down from last year, but it's way up from where it was right. four years ago. Yeah. I think even car thefts are up like uh, 300% or some crazy number. Where are you on gun control? I know at one time you were conservative about that. Are you still? No, I basically, I uh, actually, the NRA used to oppose a lot of what I said. I do believe in background checks. I think people living, uh, people can show a need for a gun. Should be allowed. I'm not anti-gun, but on the other hand, you can't just let everybody, anyone go in and buy a gun, like at a gun show or whatever. And there are states in this country where it's very easy to buy guns, and those guns then get shipped up here to New York, and they end up with, you know, the bad guys. I mean, that was a big thing with Ray Kelly. They had uh, states like, well, uh, Virginia was one, I think North Carolina was another, where they would just bring up truck uh, carloads full of guns, and they stopped some of them, couldn't stop them all, and they went to areas, neighborhoods, where gangsters or bad guys wanted to buy guns, and you had these uh, you know, handguns. That were just How about assault weapons? Should they be banned? Yeah, I don't see, uh, I, I, I voted for, I don't see any need for an assault weapon. I think uh, you can, even if they were still here, it's... They're not as dangerous as they're played out to be as far as the big numbers. Having said that, to me, I don't see the rationale for having them. And uh, so I, I would rather, uh, so I, I, I did vote to ban I agree with every single thing okay, this guy's yeah. saying. I mean, okay. oh my goodness, Pete. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, and, and, but listen, if you're a shop owner, a storekeeper, or a bodega owner, you should be allowed to have a gun. I mean, you go in there, so long as, you, you know, so long as your record is clean, you should be able to have a gun to defend yourself. And uh, people living in bad neighborhoods, or crime-ridden neighborhoods, should have the right to defend themselves. But have a strict background check. And uh, if you have a mental illness, I mean, if you go up to even the average person who's a proud gun owner, do you really want mental patients and, you know, guys coming out of prison to have free access to guns? No, it's crazy. De Blasio suggested that he's curtailed mental illness in the city. I said, where'd the money go? He said, well, look around. And I feel I look around. I think there's more mentally ill people. <clears throat> what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I mean, uh, it, maybe it's COVID that did it, but I think there are more people with mental issues right now, whether they're mentally ill or not. Or, mm -hmm. I don't know where you draw They're the on line. our streets. Yeah. yeah. They're on our streets. So let's move over to, this is the Super Bowl year, 2024. We're coming right. into a huge election. We've got Biden and we've got Trump. Do you... Firstly, do you think Biden's actually going to get on the nom? Is he, is he going to continue this or is he going to back out after the Democratic convention? There's a lot of rumors out there. Yeah, I know. I don't see how he backs out. First of all, he backs out. Uh, then Kamala Harris, uh, they're going to leave her on the ticket. I don't think she's going to back out. Uh, and it'd be very difficult to do. I mean, it can, I, do, I know it can be done after the convention. After the convention. Yeah, after like he a, gets the nominee. Yeah, there's like a committee on vacancies, we call it state office, and they have the right. I guess it's, I don't know who it is. The I, have a lot, I have a lot of money on this one. Okay. So you got to see, if, you got to make me win this bet. Yeah, probably like, I, I, I guess it's the National Committee and the yeah. uh, House and Senate leaders can can pick someone. That could be, I don't think it's planned right now. I, I think it could be an alternative plan. I don't think Biden knows about it. I don't think he's going into it no, thinking he's going to drop out after the convention. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Gavin Newsom's of the world or Democratic leaders, because, you know, they see what's happening. Uh, they, I mean, his numbers are 
Terrible. Uh, listen, the president always gets hit sometimes unfairly, but so many of the crises we have now have been really self-inflicted. I mean, the, to me, the worst thing was the first day coming in and stopping the oil, uh, you know, the oil production. I mean, that that that's probably the biggest factor to inflation we've had. And also, as we're cutting back on pipelines, and we're supposedly give you money to Iran. Yeah, yeah, Iran, and also the Russia ends up becoming, you know, benefiting from that at a time where we're supporting Ukraine against Russia. Meanwhile, we're among the best, you know, the biggest benefactors of Russia because how how we've cut back on our oil production. So, if you're in a private poll and you have nobody's watching, and we could edit this because it's it's a podcast. Okay. So, if you ask me to edit it, I will. Okay. But hopefully, I won't. Who are you who are you voting for? If it's Biden and Trump, I'll vote for Trump. Uh, within the Republican Party, I, I think Nikki Haley would be a stronger candidate in uh, November. Because even like the recent polling, which shows that uh, uh, Trump is slightly ahead of Biden. Well, when Biden has the lowest numbers in history, he should be more than slightly ahead. And being Trump, you figure anything can happen. He can end up losing three or four or five points quickly. Nick, so here's, I could say, a three-point lead, a four-point lead at most. Some say even with Biden. Nikki Haley is a 16-point lead. So to me, she is much more of a guaranteed winner to the extent anything can be guaranteed in politics, you should be a stronger candidate. I get along with Donald Trump. I work closely with him. If you heard me now, he would say, that guy's an ingrate and everything else. But uh, no, I mean, he, he had a very good record as president. But he never should have lost. I mean, even whether, listen, he says it was stolen. Fact is, it never should have been close because he had, uh, inf inflation was down, wages are up. There was no war going on anywhere. I mean, there was no real crisis out there at all. The border was as secure as it can be, and yet he ended up uh, losing. And uh, If he doesn't win, will he contest it? I think so, yeah. He can't believe that anyone would vote against him. So we might have another situation. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I mean, listen, I can say, I was in Congress, and I was a strong supporter of George Bush against John Kerry, and John Kerry actually had a stronger case than Trump did to say that the election was uh, manipulated against him. Not intentionally by Bush, but like, for instance, in Ohio, as I recall it, uh, they closed the, uh, the voting, I guess, 8 o'clock, whatever the time was at night, and there were still long lines of voters, and the, these were mainly in heavily Democratic districts. I don't know if that would have swung up, but at least he had, he, had, he had more of a legitimate case there. Not that anything was orchestrated or the Republicans got together, but he could say that uh, he was denied you know, votes that could have put him over the top. If he won Ohio, he would have won the, you know, the nation. But he didn't contest it. This is, it was sort of an unwritten rule that, uh, I mean, Nixon in 1960 certainly could have contested it. Al Gore, even after the Supreme Court ruled, he still could have. I mean, that wouldn't have stopped Donald Trump. The Donald fact Trump has a big ego. Yeah. And so I would say that uh, Nixon, Gore, and then Kerry in 2004 all had legitimate claims to contest the election, but they didn't. It was sort of a feeling here, no election is going to be perfect, and uh, you can always find votes here or there, but once they've been certified, you, you go with it, and that's it. That's, uh, that, that's more important than the individual, and I don't think President Trump has ever accepted that. This has been fantastic. I am so honored that I've got a chance to meet you and talk to you. And you have so much, you're like a pedigree in, in world affairs and economics and, and what's happening in the world. I'm, I have the chills about our availability that we're going to be attacked. I do want to ask you, I want yeah. to end with this. Sure. And I try and ask all my guests this at the end. If you were the governor today of New York, tell us the three things that you would do to keep our property values strong and our city safe. I think the main thing with property values would be to uh, change any, any kind of state law that uh, really impedes landlords from enforcing their rights and carrying them out. I mean, to me, listen, during uh, COVID, okay, it's a temporary crisis. You make allowances. But those, that temporary crisis can't 
go forward you know, uh, forever. Also, as far as real estate, as far as the uh, the city and state itself, give the police more power. Speak out for the police and make sure to put all the pressure of your office on the state legislature, the assembly and the senate, to change those no bail laws and to, uh, you know, the cashless bail has to be ended. Also, to uh, uh, give the, the rights back to the cops and give judges more leeway in deciding you know, you know, the sentences they impose and also how they uh, uh, lay out bail. Well, I vote for you. Law and order. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Pete. Yes, Thanks for coming Thank on the you. Miller Report. Thank you for tuning into the Miller Report. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.